0: Now, um, I am going to be referring to some verses in the reading that we just had, so you might want to take the opportunity while the others are going out to just find that reading if you've lost it. It's Acts chapter 2 and verse 22. Now, most of the Bibles we've got in front of us are these wider Bibles, which are ESV, and for those ones it's page 1081. Some of you might have a different translation in front of you which would be a different page number but um, for the ESV Bibles it's 1081 uh, and uh, I will just read again verses 22 and 23 of that of that reading the first two verses that I read before. So Acts 2 And verse 22. Uh, Peter says in this speech, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God... With mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Well, now let's pray and ask God to keep your Bible open there. And let's ask God to help us as we we consider his words. Lord God, thank you for this opportunity this morning to consider why Jesus died. We pray that as we consider this, you will open up our eyes to the truth and you will move us to believe in him. Some of us may be for the first time, others to be renewed in our faith. We ask in Jesus name. Amen. Now a few weeks ago, in, I, I, in, uh, there's a course that I run which is called Introduction to Christianity and we, in, that question, in that course we di- we, I'm explaining the fundamental truths of Christianity and we have opportunity for questions and discussion. And one question I was asked a few weeks ago Somebody said, so why did Jesus die? That's a very good question. Why did Jesus die? Why would anybody want to kill such a good man who had done so much good to so many people? And if, as the Bible says, he is the eternal son of god why would god allow his only son to be killed moreover if as we have very good reason to believe from the records he had mighty supernatural powers he could he could stop a storm just like that just just give a word and a Storm would stop. He could call forth the dead to come from the tomb. So, why did he not just take himself down from the cross? He could have done that, couldn't he? Why didn't he do it? That's a very good question, isn't it? Now, it's also a very important question because. This is not just a matter of idle curiosity or idle speculation. Sometimes people have these very clever questions. Oh, why did God create a world where there could be suffering? And you know, these are big philosophical questions to which we don't really have a clear answer. This is not just one of those idle theoretical questions that has no consequence. No, no, no. This is a question upon which hangs your and my eternal destiny if you come to a correct understanding of this question of the answer to this question and if you believe it with all your heart you'll be saved and you'll have eternal life. You'll go to heaven. But if you don't understand this question correctly, or if you do understand it but you don't believe with all your heart this answer, you'll go to hell. It's as simple as that. So this is a really, really important question. And what I want to do today is to answer this question with reference to those verses, there's lots of other verses I could have chosen, and in fact I will refer to a few other verses as well. But I want to answer this question with reference to these verses which we have before, which which I, which I read just now. And uh, I'll just read them again, again now. It says verse 22 of. Chapter 2 Men of Israel, hear these words Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And what I want to draw out from these verses is three very straightforward propositions which I hope that everybody here this morning will be able to grasp. They're not difficult, so you should be able to grasp with the help of the Holy Spirit. The first is this. It's clear from those verses that Jesus did not die because of any sin that he'd committed. Secondly, from a human point of view, Jesus died because men hate God in their sinfulness. But then thirdly, from a divine point of view, Jesus died according to God's plan, To make a sacrifice for the sins of his people. So we're going to think about those three things now. First of all then, Jesus did not die for any sins of his own. Look with me again at verse 22, the first of those two readings. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you, By God, with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Jesus was someone whom God attested to be genuine, to be truthful. By the mighty miracles that he did. Now that term, signs and wonders, is a term which the Bible uses to describe not just answers to prayer. But mighty miracles that are wrought at the command of the servant of God. You have it used as regards the great miracles that Moses did. And then it occurs also in the book of Daniel and then it occurs in the New Testament with reference to the miracles that Jesus and his apostles did. And what Peter is saying here is that God, by enabling Jesus to do these mighty miracles, God was placing upon Jesus his stamp of approval and saying, This man is true. What he says is true. You should believe what he has said. So this focuses us then to think, well, what did Jesus say? Well, Jesus said many things whereby what he was saying was that he was effectively saying that he is God, become a human being. So, for example, Jesus said that he is going to judge the world, but only God can judge the world. Jesus said that he forgives sins, but only God can forgive sins. Jesus said that he, he, Jesus, would give spiritual rest to all those who trust in him, but only God can give spiritual rest to people. He said that he is the way, is the source of of salvation. He is the only one who can reveal God, the Father. So in these and various different ways, Jesus was saying that he is God become a human being. So when God then proves that what Jesus said is true by enabling Jesus to do mighty miracles, he's saying, what this man has said is true, that he is my son, my eternal son. He is divine, just as I am divine. And so Jesus did these mighty miracles. I'm sure many of us will know the stories. The eyewitness accounts of Jesus causing the blind to see. The deaf being able to hear. The mute starting to speak. The lame starting to run. The, those with withered, withered limbs having their limbs restored. Those with bent backs having their backs straightened. Those under the power of evil spirits being delivered from those evil spirits in a word. He commands and they, that's quiet, and they come out. The hungry were fed. The dead were raised from the dead. The storm was stilled. If Jesus was a liar, none of those things would have happened by the fact that these things happened it shows that what he says is true what he and and that he really was god become a human being well god doesn't sin and peter said about him peter lived with him for 3 years peter said about him in 1 peter chapter 2 verse 22 he said about Jesus he committed no sin neither was deceit found in his mouth when he reviled he did not revile in return when he suffered he did not threaten but he continued to entrusting himself to him who judges justly jesus never did anything wrong he was never violent He was never sexually immoral. He never stole anything. He was perfect in everything he said. He was never rude, never unkind, never untruthful, never proud, never boastful. And he was pure even in his thought life. He never did a lustful thought go through Jesus' mind. Never was he proud or bitter or self-pitying. He perfectly trusted his heavenly father and loved him and perfectly loved his fellow men, even when they treated him appallingly. And when on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. So Jesus never did anything wrong. And this is very important because it means, as we'll come on to see, that when he died, he could die for the sins of others. Because he had no sins of his own that he needed to pay for. So there's the first point for us to see from these verses. Jesus did not die for any sins of his own. Now the second thing we see from this verse is these verses is this. That from a human point of view, Jesus died because of men's hatred of God. Let's look now at verse 23. Peter says, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You crucified him by the hands of lawless men. You killed him, says Jesus, to these people because you, effectively, it's clear by implication, you hated him. And you hated all that he stood for. But someone might say, Why would anybody want to kill a good man like Jesus? Someone who's fed the hungry and healed the sick. Why would anybody want to do that? Why would anybody want to kill somebody who's taught in a way that nobody has ever taught before? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. you, Who's ever said that before? Well, the answer is that they hated him for the very reason that he was perfect. You see, if Jesus had been sinful like everybody else, they'd have said, well, yeah, well, that's fine. He'd have been their, their friend. They'd have taken his healings, fine. And they would have not done anything to him. They'd have welcomed him as a friend and been all chummy with him but it was because he was so per- he was absolutely perfect and without any sin that they hated him because jesus made people around him feel exceedingly uncomfortable and the people who felt most uncomfortable around jesus were the people who most thought that they were good. Because Jesus exposed their hypocrisy. And their pride did not like it. Not only so, not only was Jesus hated for the fact that he was perfect, he was hated also for the fact that that he was and is God in human form. Jesus became the target for man's hostility towards God. Men do not want God to exist. They would much prefer it if there was no God, because if there's no God, they can do what they want. So-called atheists or perhaps better called, God-deniers, are in fact God-haters. They hate God. And so when people are encountered with God in the person of Jesus, they want to kill God in the person of Jesus. Their hostility towards God is shown in their hostility towards Jesus. Given a chance to get their hands on God, men want to murder God. And that's what happened with Jesus. Now sadly, down through the ages, some people have said that it was the Jews who were responsible for Jesus' death. And this is become the basis of the most terrible and horrific anti-semitism. But such people forget that in fact it was the Roman soldiers under orders from Pontius Pilate, the non-Jewish Roman soldiers who actually put Jesus to death. The truth is that the reaction of that crowd to Jesus that called out for him to be crucified That call is the call that all men would make, given half a chance. Because it's an expression of the natural man, the hostility that the natural man has towards God. But for God's intervention in our lives... If you and I had been been there on that morning when Pilate brought Jesus out in front of the crowd, we would have shouted, just like everybody else, crucify him! Because that is the attitude of man towards God. Paul says, Speaking to believers in Colossae that before they were changed by God, they were alienated and hostile in mind as regards their attitude towards God. And so it can be truthfully said that not only did the people of Jesus' day kill Jesus, but there's a sense in which you and I killed him as well. Or we would have done if we'd had the opportunity And so we see that from a human point of view, Jesus died because of the evil of mankind. He died because we hate righteousness and we hate God. You say, that's not me. Yes, actually it is. You might flatter yourself in saying, you're actually... That in your natural self, that is how you and I, how we all are. And this should cause us pause for thought. Because it shows us that we are not the good people that we might like to imagine ourselves to be. There is a deep-seated hostility to, to God in every one of us. In our natural state. So there's the second thing then we see from this passage. That from a human point of view, Jesus died because of man's hatred of God. Now then we come then to the third thing. Which is that according to, from a divine point of view, Jesus died because... According to God's plan, in order to make a sacrifice for the sins of his people. Now let's read again verse 23. Peter says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. The death of Jesus was according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. But why would God plan the death of his own son? Well, the answer is clear from scripture. That God the Father loves a vast number of those whom he's made with a special love and is determined that they should be saved from their sins and that they should come into relationship with him. And the only way that that could happen was through Jesus, the Son of God, dying on the cross and paying for their sins. Now let me explain why that's the case. What the Bible tells us is that there is a huge problem that stands in the way of you and me being friends with God in our natural state. And that is, as we have just seen, we are sinners. We've sinned against Almighty God. We hate God. God and we've committed all sorts of sins against him. God has given us his rules to live by his holy law. These are summed up by two great commandments that Jesus, they actually found in the Old Testament and Jesus quoted them first you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and the second commandment you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But we've broken both of those commandments. The first commandment, to love God, we've broken by the way in which instead of loving God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, we have served false gods and made gods for ourselves, for us. To worship. Those are called idols. Now, some people they worship religious idols, they work they make statues of Mary, or even of Christ Himself, or of the, of the so called saints, or they make statues of the Buddha, or they make statues of, of, the, of the Hindu gods and they light a candle in front of these statues or they bow down to these statues or put rice in front of these statues. But most of us who are here in the West, we tend to worship non-religious idols, secular idols, whether it be money, career, education, pleasure, family, Sports teams, drugs, sex, alcohol. These different things that different people live for instead of God. Whatever we love in the place of God is an idol. But not only have we not loved God as we should have loved God, and probably many of us have completely ignored God in our lives, But also we've not loved our fellow man as we should have loved our fellow men. We've been selfish, rude, violent, unkind, untruthful, proud, boastful, sexually immoral, dishonoring of our parents, and we've not loved other people in all sorts of many, many other different ways. Now the problem is that God is absolutely committed to justice. And God has decreed that every sin that has ever been committed in the history of the world has to be paid for. And unless a payment is found for our sins then we will have to be banished from God's presence forever. This banishment means that we are spiritually dead now and in the life to come. If we do not get saved before we die or before Jesus comes again, then we'll be banished from God's presence forever in hell, which is a place of torment and suffering for all those who are not right with God. And that is the just punishment. For the sins of men. And what makes it worse is that we cannot pay the debt that we owe to God. A lot of people like to imagine that they're going to make up for their bad deeds by doing good deeds. They think, oh well I'll try hard. I'll live a good life. I won't do anybody any any harm. And I hope that by doing those things I'll make myself worthy of going to heaven. But the Bible tells us that our good deeds are like filthy rags in the sight of God. So we cannot pay for our own sins. So we're in this desperate state. We're sinners, we've offended against God, and we cannot save ourselves. Now, God knew this. And so he and the Son devised a scheme whereby those who are going to be saved would be rescued from the guilt of their sin. And the scheme was this that the Son would leave heaven, take on human flesh, become a human being, live a perfect life, and then die. On a cross and by his death he would pay for the sins of those who trust in him. He would die as a substitute in the place of sinners. Now we read earlier in our service from Isaiah chapter 53. And one verse, there are lots of places in that passage to talk about Jesus Dying as a substitute. I'll just read you one verse. Verse 6. It says this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned each one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him. The iniquity of us all. God placed on Jesus. The sins of those who trust in him but somebody might say but why did jesus have to die for the sins of his people surely cannot god the almighty god can he just simply say i forgive you just like that the answer is no Not even almighty God can forgive sins just like that. Because he has bound himself by his own moral law. And his own law says that sin has to be paid for. If God didn't keep his own rules, the whole world would be in complete and utter chaos. So God abided by his own rules... And he found a solution to our sin which kept the rules and provided a payment, a sacrifice to pay for the debt of sin. Okay, said somebody, all right. I accept there has to be a sacrifice, but What about the animal sacrifice? Surely there could be animal sacrifices. Weren't there animal sacrifices in the Old Testament? Surely they could pay. Why why would God allow his son to be killed? Well, the answer is this. That animals cannot pay for sins. Animals just show that, that a payment is needed. But they don't provide the payment. Hebrews 10 verse 4 says... It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Animals can't save. So the truth is that the only person in the whole universe who was qualified to make that sacrifice for sins was Jesus. And he was qualified because... Number one, he was human, had to be human, who died. Number two, he was qualified because he was perfect. And number three, he was qualified because he's God become man. And those three things made him uniquely qualified to make that payment for sins. And because the blood that was shed was the blood of the God-man, that blood had infinite and has infinite and eternal value to pay for the sins of all those who trust in him. And the great good news is that God has shown that he's accepted the sacrifice of Jesus by raising him from the dead. And that demonstrates that God is satisfied with that sacrifice that Jesus made. And it means that anybody and everybody who comes to Jesus and trusts in him will be completely forgiven for his or her sins. So here's our third point then. From God's perspective, Jesus died according to God's plan as the way by which God could save those whom he was planning to save. So let me just... Summarize and conclude and then bring some points of application to us. We've seen then this morning, number one, Jesus did not die for any sins that he committed because he is God become man as proven and demonstrated by the great signs and wonders that he did. Number two, from a human point of view, Jesus died because men hate God. And then from the thirdly from a divine point of view Jesus died in order to fulfill God's plan to make a sacrifice for the sins of his people. Well, as we draw things together then, what applications should we make? For ourselves, let me just bring you three applications from what we've said, what we've seen this morning. First of all, we should be deeply ashamed of ourselves because what happened to Jesus is an indication of the hostility towards God and the hatred towards God. That is in every one of us in our natural state. We would all have much preferred we would all much prefer God to be dead. We've all broken God's holy laws a countless number of times. We all deserve hell a million times over. So we should be appalled and ashamed and our terrible sin, and our rebellion against God, every one of us. Secondly, we should believe what God has said about his son, that he is the eternal son of God, and that he did die on the cross in the place of sinners, and he was raised again from the dead. Many people have their own ideas about Jesus and their own ideas about what Jesus did when he died on the cross. They say, oh, it was just a noble, a noble gesture, they say, or something like that. But if you're going to be saved, you must accept what God says about the cross. You must believe that. And what God says about his son. As long as we cling to our own ideas about the cross, we will never be saved. So we need to stop thinking according to our own thoughts and humbly accept what God has said, that Jesus died according to God's plan to save his people from their sins. And then the third thing is this. Not only should we accept and believe these things but we should trust ourselves fully to Christ and rely on Jesus to bring us to heaven you see there are quite a few people there are millions of people actually who believe the facts about Jesus that he died on the cross in the place of sinners and that he was raised again But, they are still relying upon their own works and upon their own efforts to bring them to God. You say to somebody, are you going to go to heaven when you die? They say, oh yes, I hope I'm going to go to heaven when you die. You say, why do you think God will have you in heaven? They say, well, I think I live a good life. I don't think I need to do anybody any harm. I go to church on Sunday. I go to mass, confession, whatever it is. I do my religious acts. I fast. I pray. I give money to the poor. You see what they're doing? They're relying upon themselves. And upon what they can do. But as long as you rely upon yourself, you'll never be saved. You've got to stop depending upon yourself. Stop depending upon being religious or good. And put all your confidence and trust in Jesus. And what he did on the cross... And his resurrection from the dead. Rely on him. To bring you. To heaven. And the promise is. That if you will do this. You will be saved. You might have lived. An an apparently. Upright moral life. Up till now. In the world's terms. Or you might have been an absolute so and so. Being a real Horrible person. Both in God's sight and even in man's sight. A crook and a nasty, good-for-nothing person. You might have been any of those things, anything between the two. But whoever you are, however good or however bad you've been, you come to Jesus. You trust in Jesus. And you will find your sins forgiven. You'll find peace with God. And you'll have a place in heaven. And I say to you, have you ever done that before? Have you ever come to Jesus? Have you ever trusted Jesus to save you? I'm not saying, do you believe in God? I'm sure most people here do believe in God. I'm not saying, do you go to church sometimes? Probably most people do. But have you trusted Jesus to be your saviour? Have you said, he's mine? He died for my sins. I'm relying on him to bring me to heaven. If you've never done so, I urge you, do that today. Even right now, before we finish this meeting, take the opportunity to pray to Jesus and say, Jesus, please save me please give me eternal life. Forgive me my sins and give me eternal life. I want you to take me to heaven. Come to him. Trust him to be your savior. He will welcome you. He will gladly throw his arms around you if you'll do so. But come to him. Trust in him. Well, we will have a few moments now to pray in the quietness. Before we sing our last hymn, because I think it's very important that we take the opportunity and we don't forget what we've heard. So I'd like to just have a few moments of quiet now. In the quietness, you can pray and ask God to save you. And I'm not going to call anybody out the front or get anybody to raise their hands. Don't worry. This is just simply between you and God. But I'd encourage you to take the opportunity now to seek the Lord and ask him to save you from your sins. So we'll have a few moments of quiet and then we'll sing our final hymn.